Good morning, y'all. Bad news is there's no offertory song this morning. The good news is I will not be singing that song. So the blessing continues upon this house. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Steve is still out. Uh, he's on the tail end of his several-week vacation, well-deserved vacation with his family in Canada. So when that happens, he's gone that long. Even the youth pastor gets to preach for a little bit. So uh, it is my privilege to do that. And, here, and here's the best part, is I'm just giving you a little sermonette today. Um, what you're about to experience today will be kind of multifaceted, and um, we're just going to really uh, not just be subject to the, to the glorious Word of God and the truth that it brings, but also to the power of story, the power of testimony, because the gospel is still at work in our lives, not just in a bunch of uh, dead men and women from hundreds and thousands of years ago. And so Jesus is still alive and well, so we'll get a chance here this morning uh, to see how the gospel, to see how this amazing God we worship is still alive and well and working in our very own midst. Well, in case you missed last week, Pastor Chris uh, picked, kicked off our series on the vision and the mission of KPC, starting with our motto, which as you can see on the screen, is passion for God and compassion for people. Um, if you missed it, don't worry. That's why God invented iTunes. You can download that thing. Uh, make sure that you get it because it was a really a great sermon. If you don't uh, know how to use the whole iTunes thing, we can help with that. But you might just want to open Chronicles or Kings and read the life of King Josiah, which is an amazing story of someone that personified what it is to have a passion for God. Well, this week we're going to turn our attention to the second half of this motto, compassion for people, like I mentioned, in a very cool and unique way. First, uh, let's not take anything for granted, shall we? I know the word compassion gets tossed around. We uh, use it inside the church, outside the church. Um, but let's, let's drill down a little bit and find out exactly what is compassion, uh, perhaps from a biblical point of view. So, um, as you know, if we want to get to original meetings, sometimes we have to go back and we have to look at what the Bible writers originally wrote, how they wrote it. As you know, the scriptures that we have, um, the Apostle Paul did not write, didn't, he did not have uh, his, uh, his posse, uh, any of the gospel writers, write it in English. All right, as we know, the gospel was originally written in Elvish. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Lord of the Rings nerd alert right there. Um, Hebrew and Greek, and so, uh, the reason I just wanted to share uh, the, the great word, uh, the Greek word for compassion, not just because it's very meaningful, because it's really fun to say. All right, are you ready? Splachnizomai. Everyone say that. Splachnizomai. See, isn't church fun? All right, Greek is fun. Um, that word uh, in Greek for compassion means to be moved from the bowels. Now, that's strange. It just kind of went from fun to weird. And, so, and I'm not trying to make a joke here. I'm not, you know, I deal with a lot of seventh graders, so there's a lot of bathroom humor, but this, is not, this has nothing to do with the bowel movement, all right? This is to be moved from the bowels, which was, it was a, a Jewish idiom to be moved with great emotion or pity from deep within. We're not talking about a surfacey, superficial nod, you know, so you see somebody in trouble, you're like, hmm. Yeah, that's a shame. Hey, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. It's not that kind of superficialness, superficiality that uh, a lot of us have become accustomed to here in the U.S. Um, uh, 
you know, they believed in the, in the Hebrew understanding that the bowels were kind of the, the seat of kind of emotions, compassion, and pity. And so, again, we're talking about a work of God from deep within that really has uh, significant um, underpinnings and the way it plays out in the lives of others. So more of the English usage carries the, the, the term or the meaning to suffer alongside of or to suffer alongside with someone. Well, you will you voluntarily come alongside because you were so moved with compassion that you will choose to suffer alongside with them. Um, you know, a, a word that we would use uh, in today's uh, vernacular is empathy. You know, Romans 12, 5, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This is what we're getting at, the, the true empathy. Empathy then becomes the conduit through which compassion is launched into action. Because here's the one thing, if you want a Compassion 101, guys, compassion is not a spectator sport. Compassion isn't something that just reels around in your head. It's far more than, boy, I feel sorry for him. You know, uh, there is a sense of, wow, thank God that that's not me. You know, there's a lot of selfishness that comes in when we deal uh, with this whole thing of compassion. But the proof of compassion isn't just uh, a superficial grade of sympathy, but it is, again, moved from deep within by the Spirit of God, moved into action. If there's no action, it is not compassion. You understand? That's really important to, to get. Uh, author and theologian Frederick Buechner had a great quote. If you want to show that, he writes this, Compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. It is a knowledge that there can never really be any peace or joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. Isn't that powerful? Some of you experience that on a regular basis. Some of you have experienced that sometimes. Others of you are not sure if that has ever been um, your frame of reference or that your heart condition. That's okay. That's okay. God is not through with us yet. Now here's the deal. Some people are simply wired to be more compassionate than others, okay? There is a spiritual gift of mercy that many in the body of Christ, maybe not enough sometimes, but many in the body of Christ have. It's a gift bestowed by Christ himself, by the Spirit of God, where you have this, where you have this tenderheartedness, this, this mercy, this bleeding heart. And so usually because those kind of people were also very humble, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I don't want to throw any of the uh, compassion folks here under the bus. Instead, we're going to throw them on top of the bus and parade them around the town square. Uh, if you are sitting next to somebody that is a compassionate, bleeding heart, you have the gift of mercy, would you just kind of point them out right now? Yeah. Yeah, look, look, look around the room there. It's full of them. It's probably about a third of the congregation, okay? Um, and that, that is a beautiful thing. Can you imagine where KPC would be if we did not have these people? It would be a rough place to be. It would be, be a very callous place to be. Um, when, just when you were pointing that out, you could feel the needle spike on the Splak Nazomai meter, right? You could just feel it, boom, because these are the people that, uh, that keep us on track with the, with, uh, the hurting, uh, those who are disenfranchised, uh, those uh, that need a lift. So thank you for utilizing your gifts well. Okay, let me talk to the other folks. If you were the ones pointing and nobody was pointing at you, if I were in your seat, I'm just being honest. Can I be real for a second? Because I'm not being real the rest of the time. Um, 
If I were in that seat, I don't know if anybody would have pointed to me. Um, that's not necessarily, it doesn't mean that I'm cold and callous, but that, that just, that's not a spiritual gift of mine. And I have to be okay with that. All right? Sometimes, uh, sometimes we get a little convicted if we feel like, uh, you know, we had, the, we had the Crossfire kids take a spiritual gifts inventory uh, a few months back. And some of them were really convicted because they felt like they didn't have, you know, the spiritual gifts that we espouse maybe as... Uh, more regal than others, like, oh man, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not compassionate. Doesn't mean that you're not, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, but um, it's just an acknowledgement of where we are in the body of Christ. And so you could feel um, kind of like one of my favorite pictures, this exemplifies a lot, when my daughter, uh, Rachel, who you know is now in eighth grade, when she was three years old, her brother was one, I took this picture. And um, I love this picture so much for so many reasons. But uh, so there's Ethan, her little brother, crying. The world is ending for him. He's going through his own personal Armageddon. And then there's Rachel, lovely, holding a flower. But she is cold and stoic as possible as possible to be. There is nothing there. It's just like nothing. Nothing. So uh, how, how many of you ever felt like my daughter Rachel, you know? Okay, good. I felt like that. Maybe she got that from me. I'm sorry. But she, she is very compassionate now, and I'm, just, I'm not just saying that she really is. But some of us feel, if, you know, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you know, Jerry's just like, hmm, that's a shame. You know, you just feel like I'm not compassionate enough. So we don't get off the hook. You get that? Uh, we do not get off the hook. Here is a uh, command from the Apostle Peter, if you look uh, at the next slide, 1 Peter 3. He says this, finally... All of you. Everybody say all of you. Actually, let's say all of us. All right. So again, he's not saying those of you that have the gift of mercy, listen up. Those of you that are gifted with the gift of compassion. Those of you that rank high on the splachnosomai meter. You know, he says all of you. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. This is a mandate. This isn't a suggestion. He's commanding the church, everyone in the church, to be compassionate. So my point is this. With the help of the Holy Spirit, everybody can and should be more compassionate than you are right now. Um, as we become sanctified increasingly like the person of Christ, who is the very embodiment of compassion. The scriptures just remind us of how awesome Jesus is, how he worked out, how he exemplified the compassionate life. And the compassionate life and action. If you go to the next slide, it's just a, uh, a quick summary uh, here are just three examples, there are many. In Matthew 20, Jesus encounters two blind men who call out for mercy. Scriptures say Jesus had compassion on them, and he what? He touched eyes, and he healed them. He saw them. He was moved with compassion. What did he do? He sprung into action. He touched them, and he healed them. In Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, it's a great picture of the, hum the, the nature of, uh, of us as the prodigal son, and the nature of of the loving Father, which reveals the nature of Christ and um, the Father, the, the Trinity. When the Son was still a long way off, Luke says, his Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. There's three action words right there. He felt compassion and boom, he was running. The, it's the only uh, mention of Scripture where God is running. And he kissed him and embraced him. Action. In Mark 6, Jesus encounters a large crowd. Mark writes, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to what? Teach them many things. Every time there's an, 
uh, an example of Jesus showing compassion, he always springs into action right after. Isn't that great? So here's the cool, he, so the, the cool thing about this is that the fact that Jesus is so compassionate and we become one with him, it is contagious. It is very contagious. You see, compassion for others, you could say, is a byproduct of passion for God. Now, byproduct may not be the best word because byproduct kind of means an accidental cause and effect thing, and this is anything but accidental. You see, that's why, that's why passion for God and compassion for people, that is, that is a great picture of the gospel because passion for God, it's the vertical, right? But if you only have this, hey, it's just you and me, Jesus, that is not the cross. It's just, it's just a beam sticking out of the ground. But then compassion for people comes together to make the cross and to finish the picture of the gospel. Remember, John said, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't even love your brothers who you have seen? So, again, that goes to the great commandment. It's another picture of that. Passion for God. When you get into his presence, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, transforms you. And you cannot help but to go out when you're with people and become more compassionate. They go together, which is so beautiful. To the the degree that you are passionate for the compassionate God is the degree to which you can grow in your compassionate desires and actions for others. Well, I think you get the point. My little mini-sermon is um, concluding now. Um, You see the Bible is full of stories of compassion. The foolish expression, of course, is Christ himself. We are told in the scriptures, again, these are all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That means the ball is keep on rolling until his second advent, until he returns. So his work of compassion continues today. And so we decided this morning that we would like to share a story. Testimonies are powerful, aren't they? How many of you have just have, have had your faith literally built up when, by hearing testimonies, even of people in this church? And it's incredible. There's power. The Word of God says there's power in our testimony. And so... Um, what we're going to do is we're going to watch a, uh, a video of, uh, of a person who I am proud to say has become my friend over the years. I'm not going to tell too much right now, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, you'll get to hear him live and in person after this. But let's watch a short video that will uh, give you the life, the background, and the story of Mr. Eli Penick. Would you roll that video? My name is Eli Penick, and I'm 25 years old. And I'm from Ukraine. I've lived in the orphanage 14 years. Um, the orphanage building, like, um, they have different kinds of building, um, built different kind of bricks. They don't have kind of colors on it. It's more like um, they just stuck to it, you know? And all they did just melted some mud in there and just took it there. And the problem is with the building is that um, it can easily fall apart. Not people weren't doing a good job, and it's not because they're doing the good, that um, good job. Is that they couldn't afford the money, and you can tell these people lose their fingers, ten of them, a day, mm. and as that's the only they can afford to have money to build houses, and. You can look inside of the house; it looks fine, but if you go outside, it just looks like. You, it, we just had like a hurricane or something. And, but the problem is with the building is when it rains, it doesn't really rain a um, whole lot outside, but it rains a whole lot inside. And you can see all the leakage around the wall. And 
I remember one day when I was, actually one night I was sleeping, and one day I woke up in the morning, you can see the flood, like the flood all over the place inside of it. You can't even walk with it. All you do, you can swim with it. And that's all we did. And it took us seven hours or even more hours to take all these floods out outside. And there were other kids in orphanage um, were, um, some were um, like fully disabled. They can't, they can't move or can't talk. And all, this, and all they do is lay in bed and that's it. And then some of them like can walk and, and then they can't talk at the same time. And some of them can crawl. So we didn't have a wheelchair or anything to move around with them. All they did is crawl. Mm. And that's what they did. And some people it just, when I was living, it was more like they're all in bed. There, there was no freedom. It's more like they're in prison. Mm. There's, um, there's a, a bed, and, it, and it's, it's like a prison for them. And that's it. Wow. And most of them, they were covered with everything. So I was born and I was diagnosed, which is called um, spina bifida. Um, now a lot of people have probably have heard it, and most of them have heard it. I usually explain what it is. What happens is that when the spines open while you, when you're born, and so what they do with that is they put it together and they close it. And that's, thanks. It's probably like half information I know, but I already know it, the way how they do it. I mean, there's a lot of things I have to deal with with the spinal cord. I don't have to do. Um, I don't have a horrible condition. Thank goodness. Is it's just. Just a tiny bit, and you know, I don't have to deal with a whole lot of um, health problems. I don't have a problem when I get around with wheelchair. It's not biggie. So, I mean, that's, I don't really think of it much, but I have to watch out how I take care of myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. Having spina bifida uh, as a child, it was kind of hard for me because I didn't have some things to be around with because I didn't have wheelchair to be around, so I have to crawl instead of just be sitting in the bed. I, I made my ch myself a choice. I wanted to be around. But the only problem with spina bifida I never heard from the nurses is that, I mean, most of the nurses didn't really hear it. What I have is I, I get sick a lot. I throw up a lot. I. I, my stomach will hurt, and I mean, I will have the worst headaches. Um, I never knew what's, what was going on with my body. I never understood why I was diagnosed with that. I was born with it, and I just had it. And, and I've been sick 15 years, and I dealt with this 15 years, and it's crazy. And, and I, know, I don't know how I survived with it, but it's just, I had to deal with it. Um, the way I was treated is when I was gotten to orphanage for the first time, I was fine. I feel like it would be safer for me to be around with good people and loving on me and, and, and have amazing food and, and make some good friends and have a good education. Well, 
year later, if I make some mistakes, I mean, I made some mistakes on breaking toys or breaking things. I mean, even small things, even though it's not important, people would drag to the bathroom, take the branches, and take the broom. And they find anything, it could be a brick, and they want to smash you so hard. I can, I mean, I wish I could have a picture of it, but I was covered with bruises. And I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? I mean, why I'm here to be treated like this? Why did I, what did I do to them? You know, like, why did I do it to them? I'm like, really? And it happens all the time. It just happens all the time. And they tie you up to the bed, to top to bottom. And you're probably stuck into a month. I made some friends like the longest time. And I made some good friends. And I just want to have friends. You know, I never have friends. And I want to be around with friends. And one day, I didn't do anything. I mean, they got in an argument with me. And they, they bit me so hard that I was bleeding. I mean, almost in the blood that I've lost. I mean, and and and, and then I, I even, even look at it every time I look at it. Every time I look at it, it just makes me think of that. It's make me think of what my friends did to me. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't deserve this. Yeah, when I was a young child, I, be, I mean, I've been abused. There's some things I've heard about Jesus, but But at the same time, I didn't care because for me, he feels like he's nothing to me. He is really is nothing. I have walked away from him and I mean, I never accepted, but I walked on him because I've heard of him and I want to work with him. But then at the same time, there was a rules of religious things I have to follow. And there were so many things I have to follow. And I refused to listen to that. And I said, no, I'm not going to follow his rules or the religious things. And I decided to walk away from that. And, you know, these people will be listening to me and people telling me all this religious stuff. And I'm like avoiding that stuff. And I even said horrible things about all this. You know, it's just... I didn't exactly know who what he, what he really was, what he did to me, and and you know who you know what what it means to him to be have me in him. It just actually just felt nothing, you know. I've never been to church. I have never grew up in church. I've never actually never been in church. So in the, in the orphanage as was it as a young child and being abused so many times. And no others care about me, and I just, I felt nothing inside. I felt worthless, stupid, and ugly. And I mean, name it. I mean, seriously, just name it all if you can. I mean, I was lonely. And every day of 15 years, it's, it's set by the wall. It's just been lonely and just nothing. And been hurt and feel this pain inside of it. But then I made something that I didn't, you know, I started drinking and smoking all this stuff. So that way I don't feel the pain inside of it. But at the same time, I can still feel the pain. 
and and I'm still feel lonely all the time and that's it's kind of hard because I've never been loved before I don't know what it's like to be loved and I was covered with hatred it was like more like I I was covered with darkness it's like taking the blanket and just put a cover on you it's, that's how you felt there was no light, there was no love, there was no joy, and there was no happiness in my life. I've never experienced all this. All I experienced is the darkness inside of my life. Uh, so when I first met my, uh, my future parents, Scott and Susie Pinnock, um, they were just, you know, they put a love on us and they were putting joy and happiness. They were, actually, they were more excited about us getting adopted. But when they heard the news about me, but they kind of heard on the paper that, you know, they were just saying, um, I don't know if you want Eli to be adopted or not because all the health problems, that I don't think we can take care of that. And I don't think we don't know how to do it because we don't know because, but then when they find out about Jordan, they're like, oh, Jordan seems like they have no problem, but let's, Take Jordan instead of Eli, you know? They just want Jordan. Jordan, you know, has no problem. Well, it didn't happen that night because that night, my mom went to bed. She was having the trouble sleeping. Is She don't know why she was having the trouble sleeping. She just, she thought she was scared, like maybe that's why. It wasn't that. It was God answering her prayer. It's like, like, and he literally got my mom's face, look, you made a horrible choice leaving Eli in the orphanage. You think if you didn't, if you don't want him right now, you will have a month left to live. I worked so hard to get him out of here, and when that that made like a wake up call, she really like what I'm supposed to do. What I'm supposed to do. So she said, um, you know what? I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do whatever God is tells me to do. And she literally took me out of it. And no matter what, how hard, how hard it was, no matter what, how hard it was, she took me out of it. All this mess that I've been through, 15 years of orphanage. And I'm blessed to be here. I wouldn't be here today and sharing this story, what God's done in my life. It's just, it's awesome. Well, you couldn't imagine as a child, you know, me walking away, all the things that God, I mean, things I will not believe in Him and things He has done to me and that I didn't care. And me to arrive here and all the things that God done in my life in this home for me is that and I would think of myself why I mean really why did you do it even I walked away from you and I didn't need that from you I don't I want you to always be staying away from me but he didn't because he made the plan for myself he says this is my plan for you 
And when I got into first time attending the KBC, and I've never been to church. I really have never been to church. And all I see, people going crazy. Like absolutely drunk. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? I feel like there was something wrong with these people. I mean, worshiping people, I mean, worshiping God and preaching and all that. I mean, there's like full energy. It's like full energy. I'm like, I don't like this. And I'm like, this is crazy. But then the more I went to KPC, something has changed. Not more what my parents did. It was, I feel like what's, they made me to go to church because it's not because I have to like something. It's more because it's to get connected with God, have a relationship with Him, and have a. I mean, they ta they taught me a lot of things about God, and that means me, and they mean that means a lot to me because it kind of realized, and I said, well, if I accepted Christ as my Savior, what would have happened to me? So one night I bowed down and says. And I said to all this to him, the Lord, if, if you're real, I need you. I really do. And I accepted Christ, which like seven years ago now. And literally I woke up the next morning as a new person. And it felt so good. It felt so safe that he was with me no matter where, where I'm going. <laughs> because I'm in a wheelchair, I feel like not a a lot of people get the chance to be me, a real me, you know, because being in a wheelchair, not a lot of people will get your attention because the way I look at it is that, are they afraid talking to me? Are they just, are they gonna treat me differently than others? Those are not wheelchairs. What I want people to know is not, it's not, I'm not want to push them, I don't want it, that's your choice. Is I want people to love me. I want people to accept who I am in wheelchair. Because you don't know when I went through a life, what God can do for you. If he can do it for me, you can do it for you guys. Come on out, buddy. Seen that crowd. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> wow. To quote a line up there, that was crazy. These people are crazy. Everyone is just telling me this morning they couldn't even park. <laughs> hey, um, Eli, before I ask you a few follow-up questions, um, the thought just occurred to me, and I knew it before, but even as hearing the story, because um, some of us, a lot of us that lack compassion, you know probably the most powerful way to gain compassion is, is, to, is to hear somebody's story. How many of you ever judged somebody and then you heard their story and it changed everything, right? And so everyone has a story, a chance to hear it out. And so because of Eli's uh, crazy, amazing story, we want to make sure we had a chance to showcase that today. As somebody who is a recipient of compassion, 
And then uh, here before we go today, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at the other end of that and uh, talk to a few folks that were the givers of compassion. So Eli, here's my first question for you, man. Um, we heard a little bit about that in the video, but what would you say would be um, several, would be two or three benefits that you have received from being a recipient of that kind of compassion? Because you think about where your life would be today if you hadn't gotten adopted, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some other benefits that you have received because you have been shown so much compassion? Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to question. Uh, well, the, as I said, what's on the video, you know, all the through, I win so much, you know, is that I, when it's like I, I'm lost for words, what my parents did, especially my mom, and she has done everything for me, and they've been there for me, and things I needed. You know, any medical stuff. You know, the first thing it was me and getting into adoption, it's more like, okay, well, first we gotta get into medical. Because medical is a top priority for me because I was out of shape, you know, and I get a phone call from, a, you know, to say, hey, my kidney failed. I thought my life was pretty much, that was, it's over for me. And I was like bursting crying because why God? Why? Because you allowed me to come here, and now you want to just destroy my life. Yeah. And you know, but um, you know, I get another phone call that says, "Hey, we received your kid, man." You know, two months later, boom. You know, my mom just, you know, just jumping, overjoyed, and you know, for me, I'm just paused. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. You know. And I knew what God was doing. I knew, and God reminded me, you're gonna get a kidney, you're gonna live a life, and you're gonna be strong, you will have a faith. Stop worrying what's gonna happen in life. Stop living the life. Yes. yes. Just start living. Yeah, amen. Mm. So you can see, uh, because of the compassion that you received, my brother, you, you are literally alive like physically alive, you're here today, and you are in good health. Yes. Um, you know, you, I know you've had a number of surgeries, uh, and, and if you don't mind me sharing this, I know uh, Miss Kathy shared a great story with us uh, in the staff meeting about whenever you had surgery, and then you had, you had your feet corrected and turned up. Yeah, and she, yeah and, she, and she remembers the story of you looking down saying, Mom, I have feet! You know, I mean, just the little things that we take for granted. Have any of us ever said that? You know, that is so awesome. And then the, the spiritual blessings of you coming to know Christ. And, you know, he's, Eli's a faithful Crossfire volunteer. He's a faithful employee at Chick-fil-A. He's been here for uh, 10 years now. Um, Actually, seven. Seven. Oh, seven years. Okay. Won't get ahead of ourselves. Let's and correct that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the reasons, honestly, that uh, when Eli and I first started talking about... Uh, doing, sharing his testimony here. Um, one of the reasons why, it, you know, we can just be real because there are people in the church that feel hurt and kind of feel slighted. You can, it's very possible to feel very alone in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. And so, um, so Eli, um, what, what would be maybe one or two things that people don't know about you that you would like them to know just so just so they can get to know you, so they don't judge you as, uh, you know, 
as a guy in a wheelchair, right? Because there's so much more to you, so much more. Uh, what, what would you like uh, the folks at KPC to know about you and, and, and how they perceive you? Well, for example, you know, I, I work at Chick-fil-A, and, you know, and people will ask questions. And, you know, they will stare at me, and they would ask me, like, what happened to you? And they were just, and they were constantly just stare at me. What I want to know in my heart is that I don't need to see the people stare at me because it makes me uncomfortable. I feel like they would treat me different. I need to be treated like how would Jesus, Jesus would treat, you know, how he would not just look at you and stare at you constantly, but just accept you and love you and respect you and be there and, you know, and who you really are. That for granted, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I know, and I know there's a lot of people in here that do know your story, and you do feel that love and respect for them. Yeah. But there's a lot more people you want to get to know in this church. Am I right? You've been here a long time, but amen to that. Yeah, that's right. Maybe uh, Eli will uh, be heading up a receiving line at the end there. So you seriously <laughs> should do that. Let's do that. Or come up here and uh, and and just get to know him, introduce yourself if you've never met him. Um, Eli. Uh, since you are, your video shows that you are no stranger to struggle and to difficulty. You have been through so much, more than uh, a lot of us put together would have ever been. What would be uh, just a real practical piece of advice um, that you would give to somebody right now that's going through some really tough stuff? And I think um, they probably would listen to you because you are probably going through, you've gone through something probably more difficult or as difficult that's what they're going through now. What would be a, a good piece of advice that you could give them for anyone that's really struggling now through some tough well, stuff? piece of advice is, you know, God has shown me that don't ever give up. And the struggle that you went through all 12 years, all he wants you to do is don't lose faith. Just keep going. And, you know, there's a door that God is going to open for you. You know, don't give up because he loves you way too much to, you know, he wants you to love you. He wants you to be strong. You know, don't let the devil come and knock you out. He's not bigger. He has no authority. We have the authority. We have to use it. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'm just telling you from personal experience, I know that uh, Eli's not just saying those words because even uh, from the time that we had this date scheduled today, right? I mean, Eli was feeling the assaults of the enemy on him, saying, who are you? You're worthless. No one cares about your story. All these horrendous lies. And so Eli, he had to fight the good fight just, just to even be up here today, man. So way to do it. Way to do it. Um, well, Eli, I want you to stay here. We, um, uh, we'll circle back around here. Um, so in order to do kind of the full circle, um, since we're talking about, since we've seen the huge benefits of what it is like to receive compassion when you need it, um, I want to talk to a few uh, amazing folks here that um, were the conduits of compassion. And so a lot of you know them, a lot of you know them really well, and uh, they're all over this church. I think you can just have their mail sent here, and it will get to them. They're here always. Um, would you all give a big KPC welcome to Scott and Susie Pennick? Yay. All right, my brother. Why don't you guys stand behind you, either? 
Hey, um, before I ask him the first question, well, the first thing I asked him to do is introduce the rest of Pennick Nation. And uh, 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 we're going to show you a picture up here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this picture and uh, who everybody is and the circumstances under which this picture was taken. It's, uh, it's not the Pennick Nation. It's the International House of Pennick. Okay, gotcha. Got there we go. Um, on the top row, um, my daughter Sulane, she was our first adoption. She came from China in 1996. Um, in front of her is Elizabeth. Um, I guess I should sort of get ages. Um, Sulane is turning 21 this week. I can't believe that. Um, Elizabeth is 20. Um, she was adopted from Latvia in our last adoption in 2012. And right behind her, the tall guy, he's Evan. You'll probably see him around a lot. He is 19 also from Latvia. And uh, right behind Scott is their older brother, Jonathan, also from Latvia in 2012. We did a triple teen adoption, which was crazy and wonderful. Um, next to Jonathan on the back row is David. He was our second adoption. He was from China. He came in uh, 2001, and he is 17, about to turn 18. All my kids are almost grown. I can't believe it. Um, right beside David is our oldest son, Doug. Um, he is in his 30s. I can't remember exactly where. He's a graphic designer and did the horrible thing of moving to Phoenix, Arizona. And so um, you don't see him around here very much, but he did grow up at KPC. And then right beside him is Brian. Uh, he's our third born and uh, he uh, lives with us. He's a veterinary technician. Uh, in front of Doug and um, Brian is Ashley, and most of you know her. She's, I'm not going to tell how old she is. Um, she is um, continuing the Pinnock tradition with lots of children. <laughs> uh, Jordan and Eli, of course, are seated on the bench in front, and um, their adoption was in uh, 2005. Wow. So let me just uh, frame this right here. So you are two random, you're a random couple here from the U.S., what in the world, what did God do in you to go and build the International House of Panic, to go overseas, uh, these, strain, you know, these uh, you know, strangers, these children that you didn't know? What was the Lord of Compassion doing in, in you guys to, to make this even happen to begin with? We did it out of selfishness. The blessings that come along with being in God's will far outweigh those if you're not. Um, Send me, I will go. Thy will be done. Pretty much sums it up for me. I think it did start with selfishness. Um, I wanted another baby, and that's how the first adoption happened. Of course, Ashley was praying for a little sister, didn't bother to tell us that. Um, so the first two adoptions were just pretty much to add to our family, um, and um, really grateful for that. Um, the second time around, um, I really have to lay the the, um, the credit on this one to a dear friend of KPC's, and that is Scott Wilcher. Scott is actually here today. <laughs> Scott messed with my life so bad, and he knew it, but. I was sitting right here on the front row one morning, and KPC had taken a youth team to Ukraine, and Scott brought back some video. And I sat there on that front row, and I watched that video of all those kids, 
And I sat there kind of like you guys did this morning and watched Eli's video and you were touched and you were moved. Now, I did a snot-slinging, sobbing mess right there in front of God and everybody. And I kept thinking, why can't I watch this stupid video without coming undone? But God undid me. And I didn't know where that was going to lead, but it led way farther than I could ever ask, thought, or imagined. He's like that. He doesn't let you all know how long that road is going to be. He just asks you to start on it. Mm. Hey, would, would one of you share, um, because Eli's up here, because it wasn't that, I know the Lord, you know, it could be said the Lord get a little bait and switch on you guys when you went over to get Jordan, right? And so it's a, that's such a, it's a powerful part of the specific testimony. But if you want to tell them uh, what you were going over there for and then what the Lord did and then, you know, coming back with both of them. Well, actually... There were originally going to be three. There was an older boy named Toya that was also in the mix, but he had aged out by that time. And really, very, very shortly into this, we knew it was going to be both Eli and Jordan. Um, I still remember getting an email from Susie when she went over on her first trip. And says, "Well, we can't adopt the little girl. She's already been adopted, but." Um, there's these three boys in a wheelchair. <laughs> I went, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> Within moments, God talked to me and said, Scott, you're perfectly set up for this. The house is already ready. I didn't go over there to get the boys. Um, I, there was a cute little girl that KPC had sponsored, some of you have been here long enough to remember, Oksana and the heart surgery that KPC collected money to pray for. And when I had that little conniption fit on the front row, I kind of figured it might be Oksana that I was supposed to go get. And um, one day I just said, I, I got to go to Ukraine. I don't know why, but I got to go to Ukraine. And um, one of my kids said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. <laughs> why would you do that? Because I really didn't have an excuse. And I said, I don't know, God told me to go to Ukraine, and she said, well, I'm coming with you. So um, I didn't go over there to meet the boys at all. Um, when I met the little girl, she already had a family. Praise God, she's doing well. For those of you that participated in that, she has a family, and she's doing really well. But I went to this orphanage, and I was kind of like when you were first talking, oh, yeah, gee, I'm sorry to see their situation. That really makes me sad. And I left, not thinking anything. And then God did the, if you want to sleep again thing, you know, don't argue with God. He, he really is going to get his way in the end. Um, I think, Mark, it all comes down to pray that, a prayer that I have prayed a lot of my life. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Um, here's one final question for you all. There's something very special uh, when you hear the word adoption that is, that is synonymous in many ways with the gospel itself. Um, tell me your thoughts, just now that you've lived through this and have adopted so many, what is it, what have you learned about the gospel, what have you learned about Christ, what have you seen in actually doing the life, the stuff of adoption that has been so rich and beautiful for you? 
You, may, you guys can both comment on that. Well, James 1.27 says, uh, care for the widows and orphans. And I used to hear that a lot and didn't think much of it. It has an all-new meaning. Um, once again, Ashley kind of set us up with uh, the latest adoption. <laughs> she fostered the uh, Latvian kids for a summer, and she couldn't adopt them. And she called me up one day crying and said, Dad, what am I going to do? I can't do it. I'm not old enough. Quickly, God spoke to me and said, well, I'm old enough. But you got to convince Mom. <laughs> I'm not saying a word to her. God's been so good to us. He's met all our needs. Every adoption is an absolute miracle. A child gets a family, and a family gets a child. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that in order for an adoption to even need to take place, a tragedy has to occur first. And there is a tragedy behind every single adoption. And, um, you know, that makes it hard. Sometimes I have been labeled as super mom. Sometimes I have been labeled as somebody, you know, that does something great. They try to put a crown on me. It doesn't fit. I'm not doing anything greater than anybody else in this body. I'm not super mom. What I am is obedient. God said, Susie, this is the call that I put on your life for this season. Will you do it? And I think that what everyone here has to realize is that something is in each one of us that God wants to water and spring forth. You know, if we search for the Lord with all of our heart, he will give us the desires of his heart. How'd those desires get in there? Well, God put them in there because he has something he wants us to do. That's why I had such a crazy episode when that video was played. Because what was in my heart, I didn't even know it, what was in my heart was being watered. And God was bringing forth his plan through planting a desire in my heart. So good. Oh, thank you guys for sharing that. Eli, man, I love you. I'm so proud of you and all that uh, you're becoming. God's fingerprints all over your life. In fact, uh, if you are uh, part of the International House of Pentec, would you stand up so we can acknowledge you <laughs> and wave. <laughs> Honorary members as well. Hey, and, um, and let's take it a step further. If you, are, if you are part of an adoptive family, you guys can stay standing. Uh, if you're part of an adoptive family, uh, maybe you're uh, a full-time caregiver right now. Maybe, you're in the, uh, maybe you help out foster kids. If you would do that, would you all stand up if you were a part of any of those, everyone in the congregation? Yeah. Beautiful. Mm, it's beautiful. You can have a seat. It's just a picture of... Of, of the compassion that is swelling in this place. And help to be a part of your stories. I mean, I'm even looking, what an honor, like to see Scott Wilcher, then Adam Weitzcarver, and then myself, and just being able to, to journey and, and be all, be a different parts of your journey and story. It's just a real honor. It really is. And just so you know, let me close with this, y'all. Um, 
Obviously, adoption isn't for everyone. Most of the people did not stand out when we just called that out. But there are so many ways to be compassionate, even by obvious things like uh, sponsoring a compassion child uh, from Compassion International or World Vision, uh, taking time to pray with someone, taking some time to hear their story, um, actually seeing someone on the side of the road now instead of saying, oh, they have a cell phone, I'm sure they got to cover it, actually stopping and helping them to change a tire. You know, uh, opening up your home for somebody that's in need, helping meet uh, someone's financial needs, whether they're great or small. Remember, the, the scriptures tell us that he who can be faithful with little can also be faithful with much. And so compassion happens in all kinds of scales and in a million different ways. And so then our charge to you is wherever God puts that in your heart, like Susie said, you don't, you don't have to be super, you don't have to be super level seven Christian, right? We can't all be level seven Christians like Neil, but... All you have to do is be available and be obedient. Amen? Amen. Well, um, let's close by doing this. Remember, we're going over the vision of the church, and so we have a great vision. We've prayed through it. Thank you, vision team, for working on that. We are, these are the fruits of your labor. Uh, but I also uh, re- want to remind everyone that our true vision, it's not on paper. It's a person, and his name is Christ. And so... We're going we're gonna to close silently to the silent reflection as a reprise of Be Thou My Vision plays. In the meantime, I'd ask the altar ministers if you would come forward. If you were in need of some compassion this morning, y'all, uh, do, not be, do not be proud. Do not be stubborn. Come on up and get prayer from these prayer ministers. See, here, here are the conduits, the deputies of compassion. Because I know their passion for God and they would, uh, again, be compassionate for you because of what God has done in their hearts. All right? Um, would you all stand with me? Uh, we'll, we'll reflect for a minute and a half, and then we'll close with a benediction. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to passion for God so transform our hearts that we may be compelled by his love out of the overflow of our hearts that we would go do the work of the gospel with the sweet power of his compassion this week in Jesus name and everyone said have a great week y'all